welcome to Art to Ask Me Anything. You guys <laughs> are the first official guests, and I'm really honoured. We've got Michael LeBlanc and Steve Dennis, of course, two top retail influencers. We've got Author, uh, Remarkable Retail, that's just come out, and we've got... Now, Carl's telling me, Michael, you've got a lot of platforms. You've quite, <laughs> quite the podcast connoisseur, and you've also yeah. got a YouTube show. The most important thing in my life is that I know Carl Boutet. That's oh. the most important. Hey, who's been? And Carl's been a guest. He's been a guest. He's been a guest. Yes. We called ourselves the Three Amigos, so we had some fun with that because we, when we get into person, in person, yes. we, we like to make fun. dated movie references whenever we can. <laughs> so there you well, go. That's great. Well, the basis of this show is I'm curious about things in retail. I haven't got that much experience, and so I'm going to start with quite a broad question that could probably lead into lots of tangents for you guys. But I wanted to ask. <laughs> We're all about tangents, so that's great. Me too. I wanted to know the top retailer that you guys have your eyes on at the moment. Mm. Uh, in what respect? Because there's different things that I, I pay attention to. But if I had to just say one without the caveats, I'd say uh, Lululemon. I just think they are a brand that just keeps growing. The performance is amazing. Um, they seem to be able or not be able to do anything wrong. So that would be one, I would say. I mean, top, top of my mind, and I was shopping their new flagship store in Williamsburg on Monday, is On Running. And actually, Steve introduced me to the brand. And we were talking about it in the context of comparing On to Allbirds. And they've taken very different approaches in how they went to market. So Allbirds was a pure play, started opening some stores, kind of a skewed wholesale by and large. They did a few pop-ups at Nordstrom. Whereas On Running, Swiss brand, uh, was now a billion dollar brand and is opening, they've got four stores, but really they went wholesale and direct. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fussing on them right now. I'm wearing a pair of their shoes. I bought them just for the stage. Amazing. So loving the product. I also think about another brand I met through, I always think about the brands we meet uh, through the pod and Viore is the one that I keep mm -hmm. my mind yeah. on. So, you know, I love Lululemon, great Canadian brand, of course, uh, out of Vancouver. Uh, but Viore is super interesting. Joe Kudla, has taken a category and said, well, I like the, um, the activewear category, but I, I, I don't do yoga. And he put a kind of a West Coast spin on it. And they have a flagship store here in uh, just on, outside of Soho. Really nice store, great people. And I think it's one to watch. I think they're, they're, I, there's a lot to admire about what they're doing. Well, I think the tangent that I'm going to go straight on is about activewear, actually, because <laughs> Lululemon is another brand that I look to a lot, I think experiential stores they've got a lot of potential there but i think in particular their loyalty and the community that they kind of foster is definitely one to look to i think loyalty at the moment and at this conference as well we're live from the lead summit it's being spoken about a lot and i heard from the cmo of athletic brewing company a non-alcoholic beer company and alcoholic beverage company and they were quite ahead of the curve and they managed to foster this kind of community and they're continuing to build it and I kind of wonder, what would you guys say are some of the challenges of trying to foster community when now everyone's trying to do it? Well, yeah, I mean, that is, that is a challenge. I, to me, and I maybe come at this question a little bit indirectly, the best brands outside of retail, inside of retail, tend to be able to figure out very clearly which customers are they trying to serve? Yeah. What in particular are they trying to do? But to create that emotional connection. And there's a lot of ways to create the emotional connection. Social media happens to be it. But it's what Seth Godin talks a lot about is you know, people, people like us do things like this. It's trying to figure out who you want to be 
affiliated with because anybody can make a yoga pant, right? Like that yeah. in and of itself is not what makes, I mean, I'm not saying the product is not good. I'm not saying they're not able to put it together an interesting assortment, but it's because they create this image of, you know, I'm a Lululemon sort of person, not the sort of person that buys yoga pants at Kohl's or an aloe yoga or whatever, you know. Find your you, tribe. Yeah, that's that, that tribe that, and so I think it takes both, in some cases, some luck, but in many cases, it's really going beyond, I forget who said this, like nobody buys from a spec sheet, right? Like you have to have certain uh, features and benefits to be in the running, but the thing yeah. that takes you to that next level are what are those emotional things? You know, what is the sense of belonging you're trying to create at the same time creating a sense of uniqueness? And that's a, a difficult balance. So, um, so I don't think there are any like magic, I mean, I'm sure there's like tools you can think about to do it, but I think a lot of it really starts with that understanding of the customer, the emotional connection in addition to the product pieces. And then depending upon where, like we just got talking with, um, on the podcast with Brie Olson uh, from PacSun, and they've been one of the few companies that's quite successful in the metaverse or with Web3 through uh, a program with Roblox. They got there not because it was the metaverse or trying to do some technical thing. It was because they found that their customers were going to Roblox. They were already on Roblox. They were engaged with that platform. That created the opportunity. So that's figuring out that while our customers happen to be wanting to be involved in that space, let's go there. Um, So it's going to be different, I think, for every every brand, but the more you're paying attention to what your customers are doing, what they're looking for, and maybe those unexpressed or more emotional needs, I think that's where the unlock typically comes from. Mm. And you know, an interesting sector that is trying to gain market share by fostering these loyalty programs is the grocery industry. Mm. And so to your point, that kind of being authentic as a brand works really well when it's fashion and um, a brand like Lululemon, but how do you think grocery retailers are going to benefit from loyalty programs? How can they incite emotion from their consumers? Well, so <laughs> this it's, could be a bigger yeah. tangent, but first of all, what most companies call loyalty programs are not loyalty programs. They're bribery programs. They're frequency programs. Oh, wow. So, you know, if, if I am just trying to give you an incentive, like if you're loyal, I shouldn't have to incentivize you, I would say, right? Because you, I'm the first choice for your brand. It should be hard for anybody else to steal you away at the same time I shouldn't necessarily have to bribe you mm-hmm. to love me right so I think you know being a little bit semantical about it but I think there is a real difference between a loyalty program and a rewards program or an incentive program or a program that is designed to get customer data to target I'm not saying they're bad um, but I think the issue with you know you you build loyalty by being intensely relevant and different not by giving somebody two cents for every dollar they spend versus one and a half cents or free whatever. So those can be valuable marketing tactics. They're not brand loyalty programs. Yeah. So I think it's hard in grocery in particular or certain categories because you know so much of where people end up going has to do with proximity, not because you know people don't drive typically 50 miles yeah. to go to the grocery store, right? Where they might do that to go to a restoration hardware store or Ikea or something like that. So. I think you know the thing that keeps people coming back is how well your customer experience and your total program meets their needs. 
Uh, most of these other programs are just really tools and techniques either to mine data or you know, to give you a little bit of a nudge to pick us over the competitor down the street. Or they're a coffee card program. I mean, in the Canadian context, it's super interesting because loyalty is a big deal for the grocers. So you saw a grocer like uh, Empire, which is Sobeys, with multiple banners, different platforms. Yeah. And at one point, each platform had a different loyalty program. Some belonged to a coalition program, like an Air Miles or an Aeroplan. And those have their own objectives, right? So one of the reasons you'd sign up with a, a coalition program is you would be able to hopefully uh, share data to the degree that you could find customers that look like the ones you've got today that you don't have and incent them with the loyalty program points that they're engaged with. But the problem is then their Aeroplan or Air Miles clients, they're not your clients. You're kind of renting them in a little bit. So what Sobeys did is launched uh, and in fact bought into the entire Scene program, right? So Scene started out as a, um, a Cineplex movie collaboration between Scotiabank and a theater. But it's grown so much with partners, and in any good loyalty program, yours or anyone else's, a couple, there's a couple of fundamental elements. One is you've got to have, as a customer, enough ways to earn points to make it a meaningful thing that you would make different decisions about how and where you shop. And so you need gas, you need financial, and you need grocery, and you need general merchandise. So you put those four things together, probably accounts for 80% of what we would all spend. So they've gone in and kind of flushed out from their multiple banners. You know, they've got Farm Boy, they've got Longos now, they've got uh, Save On from not Save On, but they've got um, another brand out in in uh, in Vancouver and and in the West now all sharing points on the common platform. But each one of their concepts is different. So you might go to a Sobe store uh, to get your meat, but you might go to the Farm Boy to get your vegetables and produce, but you're going to stay within the Empire family, right? So it encourages you to sh cross shop, as we would say, uh, and it allows you to cross sell. Hey, we noticed you live near Farm Boy, uh, you shop at Sobeys, Farm Boy's got some different products, maybe you'd like to try those, and we can incense you with the mechanics of a program. So that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a podcast all in and of itself, the right. strategies that, that, uh, that go behind it, right? Yeah, and it was recently Prime Day, so maybe let's yeah. shift to Amazon because they are, and I think this is maybe straight from one of your podcasts, they are aiming to not just be a replenishment site, but a discovery channel. And I think Amazon's obviously huge in the kind of discussion of do you go D2C or do you go wholesale? But in particular, what I kind of want to know from you guys is they are trying to really establish themselves, particularly in like the fashion and the beauty spaces. How do you think this Prime Day maybe went for them and where do you think Amazon is going? I pay almost no attention to Prime Day, I will say. <laughs> be a I, I bought stuff. A contrarian on this. Um, I, I, you know, it's a great event to create attention. Um, I don't think whether they have a good or Prime Day means anything whatsoever to retail okay. or to Amazon. Um, they move sales that would have occurred on either day to that day. Um, so, you see through it, yeah. Yeah, and so it's sort of interesting whether it's a little bit better or worse or whatever, but I don't think it tells us a damn thing about anything, real, honestly. I just, <laughs> I think it's a media event, um, mostly. Yeah. And, um, and we'll never have any, I mean, to the extent there's anything really interesting to glean, the only people that know that are Amazon. You know, that's because we don't get any, you don't know anything about gross margin, you don't know anything about, you know, customers that would have bought the week before that just bought you know, yeah. this week at a lower margin, yeah, that's that was dumb. Me. That was me. Yeah, 
So, so I, I think it's honestly, I think it's much ado about nothing. I think with regard to the, but question, I think they've done a good job of building it into something bigger sure. than a standard Bay Days or a Macy's promotion, right? Yeah. Like it's become a bit of a. You, I, I mean, it's I, a cultural. Yeah, yeah I mean, credit where credits do, so to speak. Yeah, right? I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I just mean I don't think there's any. Doesn't tell us anything. I think it's a waste of time to try to dissect from afar whatever happens with if it's down 10% if it's up 10% I don't think that tells us anything it's not useful moving mountains, it doesn't no. tell me any if I'm running a retail business it doesn't tell me anything I don't think oops Amazon had a good that. day that means what, what? it doesn't mean yeah. anything doesn't mean anything if right. you're the competitor yeah. like, I don't eh. think Walmart is blinking an eye at this no I mean it, the, the problem with a lot of and I agree with Michael I mean I think you create I mean it's hard right to create events of any kind uh, to get the kind of notoriety and interest get people talking. so so from that standpoint as a marketing gimmick I, th I think it's great but I don't think the implication necessarily I'm not saying it's a bad idea for you know target to do their own days or what have you but um, but you can chase your tail right you know it's is quote Seth again you know the problem with the race to the bottom is you might win or worse finish second and so there's a lot of this promotional stuff where you put a lot of marketing assets against it your margin goes down, and then you're forced, you know, to sort of decide whether you want to go chase, chase your tail. And sometimes you have to, you know, to be, to be competitive. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but it doesn't say much about branding or strategic um, things in the future. With regard to your question about, you know, trying to move from the more, you know, what I call the buying versus shopping sort of occasions at Amazon, you know, they've been trying that for a long time. They've had very little success, and I think part of the challenge for them is, you know, most online shopping is to get something off your to-do list. It's not to create any sort of emotional connection, not to, you know, not to mention that many of the products that are in that kind of second category are overwhelmingly bought in physical stores. And Amazon doesn't have any physical stores. So, you know, they're only going to be so successful in some of those categories, you know, if and when, they have a more significant physical presence. And, or, and they haven't been wildly successful right. in physical Well, physical right, and stores. the thing is they've, they've tried that. I also think, and Michael and I have talked about this a number of times, um, I think one of the big issues at Amazon, I think there's two issues, a big picture with at Amazon. One is Amazon is, as much as people think about it as a business to consumer company, Amazon is mostly a B2B company. And they make 150% of their profits selling to businesses, not selling to consumers. You know, Amazon Web Services, not consumer-facing. Media business, not consumer-facing. The third-party retail, right, they sell to other businesses, yeah. not to consumers. And they're, they're here with three booths, to put an ex exclamation point on that point. Right. They're, they're displaying here. They're not listening. They're actually trying to sell retailers right. things here. It's so I'm not saying, you know, they're obviously an important retailer, but I think, you know, they're, it's a combination of really more of a B2B kind of orientation to the way they do things, not so, as much as they talk about being customer obsessed, um, you know, which customers that they're talking about. But I think the other thing is what I usually refer to as the left brain thinking. You know, they're, they're, they've got such an engineering approach, which is great when you're trying to get batteries to you the next day, right? It's not so great when I'm trying to put an outfit together to go on a date this weekend, right? Yeah. Like it's not. That's when the influencers yeah. are coming in. Yeah. I think in the US, like the influencer marketing, specifically to Amazon, they're really going big on the commission links and right. storefronts. I think that's an interesting yeah. way for them to try getting right. the people but, but there. I, but I think, and it's already simplified, but the left brain versus right brain thinking, I'll just want one last thing on that. 
So when they bought Whole Foods, in my mind, they, they took all the magic out of Whole Foods and engineered it, right? They were like, we gotta have lower prices, you know, private labels. It's such a stupid thing, but I always pick on it. You know, instead of having wasabi in the little sushi that they put, put in, they put it in the little cheap plastic packages, you know, to save a penny. So, you know, I think there, there's a left brain engineering approach to, to consumer retail, which like I say, it works great if, you know, you're looking for efficiency, great assortment, low price, speed. Um, but if you're going to try to make that emotional connection and, and more complicated things that, that take empathy and vulnerability and nuance, they haven't, they haven't demonstrated their ability to do that. And if anything, I think particularly with some of their, with the Amazon Fresh stores, they totally missed the boat. And I think they largely missed the boat because they don't have the right mindset or the right talent, I guess, to, to get that right. Until they do decide to do it, if they're going to, and they may just give up on it, I think, at this point. But until they decide to really rethink the way they go about it, I don't think they're going to have a lot of success other than just, you know, leveraging convenience and price, not yeah. uh, I really aspire to, to be part of the, the brand because they elevate, you know, what I'm trying to do with my life. End of rant. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. can only just agree. I would just say it's, you know, retail, good retail is a mix of art and science, right? And we've talked about that for decades. That's not new. And they're very strong at the science. Uh, and have not demonstrably put forward a lot of art in at least their physical locations. So, uh, but they have resources that are unfathomable to most. Uh, so never ever count anyone of that size out. Uh, they right. got new leadership. Doug Jensen's really putting a new face on things. And um, once again, whenever we're on a mic, we always invite Doug to join us <laughs> on the Remarkable Retail Podcast. So for you, Amazon, we're always, uh, we're always begging you, to, you know, for your Amazon <laughs> PR people that are listening in. <laughs> the artist podcast <laughs> yeah I think the art and science thing is an interesting thing for me like not knowing much about retail and now beginning to learn things I'm realizing yeah, on particular on the marketing side and the experiential stores and the immersive experiences it's kind of like the glitz and then you don't realize that there's actually so much that needs to be going right on the back end sure I was saying to Carl, it's, it's like a circus. Like there's someone who, there's some, and quite a lot of people actually, who have to run the back end and make sure things that consumers now see as bare minimum, like the quick delivery, maybe if they're a particular brand, it's like they're gluten-free or they're vegan or it's sustainable, it's particularly in fashion. All of these boxes need to be checked. And then you need to have the front end, almost like the, the circus animals who come out and say, this is immersive retail. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, like come to our store. These are the things that we're going to do to to win you. And I think because that's the direction it's going in and so many brands and retailers are now going for that, it's you've got to be careful not to lose your customer if you're not, um, mm. not yeah. all buttoned up on the sure. operation side. No clowns allowed in the stores anymore. <laughs> no clowns allowed. No more clowns. Magicians, unless but no clowns. Uh, yeah, unless that's on theme for the immersive store. You know, one thing I'd, I'd add is, is, you know, as, as you think about brands and how they approach from an assortment to the merchandising. We had a great interview with anthropology president, Anu, who said edit to amplify, which we thought was a very powerful statement. Uh, so that's, a, that's, and the other guiding principle is this classical structure of uh, technical, functional, and emotional benefits, right? So if you take a, a Viore or a Lululemon, they're thinking about it at all three levels. What are the technical things that go into making this pant? What are the functional benefits to it? How does it make you feel? And then how do you make you feel as part of a group, uh, as Steve said, of other people who 
wear the same product. So that's those three levels that you kind of walk up and down this ladder yeah. uh, each and every day. Yeah, and I think just circling back on one thing, I mean, I think that, um, and again, I'm being a little bit overly black and white, but you know, I sometimes bristle when people say, you know, retail's all about an experience. And I'm like, well, I guess someone begs the question, well, what do you mean by experience? But like when I need some Tylenol because I have a headache, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to the closest pharmacy probably, right? Yep. That I know is going to have and I want to go in and out. I don't want an experience. I want, and you know, I'm not very brand loyal at that point. Like, do I have a preference on drugstores? I do. It's largely driven by the one that's closest to me, right? <laughs> so, so in that case, like I said, that's more task or mission folks. I'm trying to get something off off my list. Tylenol is the brand, or Leave is the brand, whatever. You know, I mean, it's not. There's not a lot of stuff going on. This is very straightforward, and a lot of retail is like that, and a lot of Amazon is like that in particular, but others as well. But in many other cases, and I, I don't know who originally said this, uh, I should remember it because I quoted in my book, but it's like people buy the story before they buy the product. The higher end you get. That's especially true. Is, right, and it's like, you know, the $2,000 handbag carries stuff just as well as, you know, the $50 tote bag, right? Or the, you know, most people can't tell the difference between a $200 bottle of wine and a $5 bottle of wine. I mean, it's been scientifically proven they can't. But I'm the sort of person that gets the $200 bottle of wine as opposed to I'm the sort of person. Well, there's other people that say, well, I'm not going to be one of those idiots that just is paying for marketing <laughs> to buy a $200 bottle of wine because I can go to Trader Joe's and get a perfectly acceptable wine. Look how smart I am, right? Because I'm trying to be seen. The story I tell about myself is I'm savvy. I'm not like one of those idiots that gets ripped off, right? Yeah. That's a, one kind of persona. Other kind of persona is, no, I'm a successful person, I know wine, I just found this, you know, I wouldn't even buy this nice wine from that wine shop, I buy it from this new one I just found, right? Because that's the story you're telling about yourself. So none, of, almost none of that has to do with whether the wine is any good or not, right? You know, the dollar water versus the $5 bottle of water. Is water any different? For the most part, it's not. But I'm the sort of person that always has the Fiji instead of the store brand. So I think that's where, you know, that's not so much experience, right? It's much more the, the story and the experiential elements as well as, you know, am I learning about this from TikTok? You know, like all those things are this pastiche of things that come to make brands powerful. So there's a lot, like I said earlier, there's lots of different ways to get there. But the more you're mindful that that's what you're aiming for, you know, a story that resonates, that's relevant, and that demands to be told, you know, that's the magic. And the brands that really have somehow figured that out, I mean, then it becomes there a gift that keeps That's on giving. That's a good title for something. The, the, the brand's story that demands to be, to be told. told. I definitely stole that from somebody, just to I be, like that. Just to be <laughs> just clear. Just to be transparent. Well, thank you guys for joining me on Art to Ask Me Anything. This was a very interesting insight, and I'm really glad we got to meet at the Leeds Summit. Thank you, guys. Likewise. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. Yeah.